Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode. I don't even know what number this is. Um, I have a different energy about me today. As you know, you know, life is a... It's a funny thing. Some days you're down, some days you're up, some days you're in between. So you just kind of keep grinding and go with it and just uh, just, just push for a better day. And I've been pushing and pushing and I'm finally on some better days here. Um, I just got back from Apopka, Florida, and that was a that was a great trip, man. I got to go down. So this was two years in the making that I was going to go down to spend time with first responders in Apopka. And two years ago when they booked this, uh, all of a sudden COVID hit and they had to cancel the event in 2020 because they booked it in, I want to say 19 or maybe they, no, they booked it in early 2020. Then it got canceled COVID and all that stuff. So anyway, finally got to go up there, had a great time with, with, you know, you know, we had a small, we had a smaller event and that was, uh, I want to say about 50 something people. And let me tell you something when, when I used to do comedy, I loved the big crowds. Big crowds are what you always went after because it was an energy thing. You were you were chasing that energy. You were chasing that that rock show feeling. So when you would walk into a comedy club and there were only 30 people there, it was kind of like, oh shit, now it's just is gonna turn into a conversation. Well, when I teach post-traumatic purpose, it's completely different. I absolutely love the smaller uh the smaller events. And let me tell you why. I feel like my my ability to personally connect with everybody in that room is much different. When when you have 150, 200, 300, and like in uh, South Florida recently, we had 500 pushing 600 people. That, for a speaking engagement, the uh, you lose that connectivity with with the audience. Um, you, it doesn't mean what you're what you do is not good. It's just. It's a, it's just a different vibe. But when I sat down this or not sat down, but when I, I sat there, or not sat there, Jesus, I didn't sit down at all. I don't sit down when I do this. Why am I saying that? When I stood in front of those, those first responders yesterday, I could look into their eyes. I could feel their souls. A lot of them. And they're, they're coming, they're, they're coming off the, uh, fresh line of duty death down there where they had a young man who was on the job a couple years. He was, he was killed in the line of duty, unfortunately. And well, he was injured in the line of duty. And then he died from his injuries, um, a little bit, a little bit later and they're struggling and they don't understand the process because this is new to them. And it is, a, that's exactly what it is. It's a process. When you do, when you have a line of duty death, it's, 
it's um, shock, then it's grief, and it's recovery, right? And it's how do you recover from that? How do you push on and how do you honor the people that, I don't want to say they're left behind, but the people that are no longer with you. And that's that's only something that the individual can answer. I had a, I had a, a gentleman come up to me after the event and he was clearly... He was clearly shaken up because of what one, what we just talked about. Two was the relatability that he had. And I could see it in his eyes and feel it in his voice. And we just had a conversation. And I told him, I said, look, man, it's going to be hard for you to move on, but that's what you got to do. Like you have to, you have to live the best life that you can after these unfortunate incidents. Because if you don't, that's not honoring the person that's no longer with you. If if you succumb to that loss that doesn't do anything for their memory it doesn't do anything so what we do is we take that loss and we learn from it and that's not to say it doesn't hurt it's going to hurt and it's going to hurt forever it never goes away it doesn't that doesn't leave you right what you choose to do with it moving forward is the honorable part how do you help other people that unfortunately may wind up in the same situation. See, when I was a young guy, when I was young and and experiencing loss at every turn, it seemed like no one no one talked to me, no one consoled me, no one taught me how to just, hey man, deal with it, move forward. You just we had to do it on our own. So what we did is without any training, without any understanding, you know what we did? We self-medicated. We we boozed it up. We started self-destructing. We, we didn't have anyone around us in real leadership position that was, I take that back, they were in real leadership positions, but they didn't do leadership stuff. One is because back then we didn't believe in it. Like you didn't, you didn't think mental health was an issue back then. So it was kind of just ignored. It's not, not saying that if that, if that same situation presented itself today, that we would do, we would behave the same way because we wouldn't, because I tell people we know better, we do better, Right. And that's what we have to constantly be focusing on. Once you know there's a problem, now we got to keep pushing forward, right? And we got to do something about it. And it saddens me because when I think about all of these first responders out there, you know, when I was on the job, I never thought mental health was a thing. I just thought I had that old school mentality like, if you can't handle it, get the fuck out. We don't need you. And that was my mindset. Well, looking back, man, it's 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 sad to even think that we we even had that mindset at all ever. And what that was was a bunch of fake tough guys back in the day trying to impress one another like things didn't bother them. And somehow that became the culture because one by one they would show up on scenes and they would have to show that the guys that they were with that they were hard asses and that they could handle it. And the ones that couldn't, they were washed out and they were made fun of and away they went and we didn't need them, right? So hence this culture was born and it's been a very toxic culture since then. And it's not, I understand preservation and I understand the need to think that, Hey, you got to be able to handle this. And that is true. We do have to be able to handle it, but we need to be able to handle it when it's happening on the scene. Cause that's what we train for. We train for these moments. And when we get in those moments, we don't want to flake out and we don't want to become a victim ourselves because if we do now, we're putting our team in harm's way. So we have to be able to handle these things when we're dealing with it. The problem is afterwards, we need to be able to let it out. We need to be able to talk about it. And there's no there's no shame in that. 
I was telling a story yesterday about, and I may have said this in, in other podcasts, but I remember one night when I was fighting for my life as a police officer and I was being beaten unconsciously and a man had my gun and he was going to kill me with it. And, my, and I pretty much, I got my, my life was saved by my old training officer. The prop, the problem with that is after that call, there is no time to decompress. There's no time to really process what just happened to you. There's no time to process the adrenaline that's running through your body. The problem is you got to clean up, get what we call 10, eight, which means available for service and get ready for another call. And so you go on another call and you go on another call and you go on another call. And throughout the night, if you're on a call like that and all of a sudden, you know, just a few hours before a few, you few uh, minutes before you're fighting for your life. And now you're on a call where, your tongue gets a little sharp with somebody and because your patience is worn thin, your adrenaline is still through the roof. All of a sudden now you're the asshole as the police officer and the administration is looking at you like, why can't you compose yourself? Why can't you um, get your shit together? And you know, you're getting these complaints, et cetera, et cetera. What happens to the police? I remember I was a dude that went out with my team and we got into shit all of the time. And what I mean is, we went out and found bad guys. We got guns off the street. We got dope off the off the street, and we thought we were saving the world. Turns out we weren't doing anything. You know, I mean, you weren't really doing what you thought you were, but at the time we thought it mattered. And we would do these things, and we get into these aggressive situations. So all of a sudden, you catch a call that's to a non-aggressive situation. Well, you just got out of a foot chase where you were in a fight with somebody, or you just had a weapon pointed at you, whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden you use the wrong language with somebody and I'll, and now you're having to dance on the carpet in front of the man and explain your side of the story. So you don't get fired. So you don't lose this job. How many police officers out there lose their job? How many firefighters lose their career? I'll raise my hand. Um, <laughs> I know I was definitely that guy. They lose it because they didn't take care of themselves along the way. And the departments are negligent in this as well. The departments aren't stupid. They know what's going on. They know People are out there getting into these situations and they're not doing anything about it. They're not training people up on, on how to, how to keep a gun out of their mouth at three o'clock in the morning. And that's what aggravates me, man. We do these, they, these departments do this check in the box training around the country where they'll bring in a speaker that has no credibility doing what they're doing, teaching these people. They've never sat in the seat of a patrol car. They've never rode a fire rig to a call. They've never had blood on their hands. They've never had brains in their lap, you know, and, and, and you have these people teaching these classes that don't relate to these first responders and boom, we got a check in the box. We did our end. We CYA. We covered our ass as a department headshed, as the leadership. And now when an officer goes out and does something or a, a firefighter does something off duty that's not like them, they're just thrown under the bus. Well, we did what we needed to do. And obviously that, that officer, that fireman, they didn't take care of themselves and they made a wrong decision. How many of these things could be prevented? A bunch of them. I look back. I was on the, I was on the phone with a buddy of mine. He's a federal agent today. And we were on the job as cops back in the day. And we just started going down a roster of people that we worked with who are no longer police officers. Go, go figure. This was, I left the department in 2005. So what, 17 years ago. And most of the people that I served with are not even there because they end up fizzling out. Very few people make it to the end of their career. Very few people can play the political game and the mental health game and take care of themselves. I remember when I was a young cop, 
I would see the old timers in office positions in like in the crime scene van. We had a crime scene van and you had people that would be in training. And I remember thinking, why aren't y'all on the street, man? The street is where all the action is. That's where all the shit is. Well, it turns out they understood that and they understood that they want to be away from that. And where the action is, is where all the explanation is as well. And that's where the justifying your job and waking up every day. I woke up every day as a cop thinking, damn, am I being fired today for something I did yesterday? And you were always walking around on pins and needles. And that's no way to live because you constantly, you, look, anybody that's a police knows if you're not getting complaints, you're not doing your job. But at some point when you get so many complaints, it starts raising questions. And when questions start getting raised, you know, they start looking at you a little differently and they'll bring you in and they'll talk to you and try to calm you down and stuff like this. And and if you heed their warnings, you, you might make it out okay. If you do like I do and don't heed their warnings, your your career's not gonna go too far. I was I remember one day I was in the um in the captain's office because the captain and the deputy chief called me in and they sat me down. Long story short, they just they pretty much asked, is something wrong with you? That's what they asked me. And I, I was like, no, nothing's wrong with me. Why? And they go, you're getting into too much stuff out here. And I was puzzled. I couldn't believe that they were saying that because I just got, I just, I was just awarded officer of the month. I had more felony arrests on my team than anybody. Here I am thinking, I'm kicking ass. What are you talking about? You should have those lazy fucking cops that aren't doing anything. You should have them in here and asking them, What's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing your job? Are you scared to get out with people? Are you scared to put go hands on and, and have these traffic stops and to get out and, and when, when you know people have guns and dope on them on the streets, are you scared to get out with them? I was offended that they brought me in and asked me that. You know what they told me is uh, they told me we need you to just answer your calls for service from here on out and don't get out of your car and don't do anything. Don't make stops. Don't be proactive is what they told me, all right? And I was I was pissed when I walked out of there. And I was 27 years old, and you couldn't tell me shit. I wore very tight shirts. They were tailored to me. I was a very in-shape police officer. I looked the part, and I walked out of there, and I was like, I'm fucking Superman, and I'm going to go stop some crime. And the very next thing I did is I got into a foot pursuit with a guy. He went and ran into a fish market. He fell down. He was around a table of knives. He got up. He had his hand on that table. I was in, like we say, in fear for my safety. So I pulled my weapon on him because he had his hand right by some a table full of knives that were used to cut fish. Pulled him out at gunpoint. Uh, had him. I proned him out. Um, got him locked up. And that turned into a big problem because uh, what ended up happening is, one, I was out of my jurisdiction. I didn't know it because the city that I worked had little pockets in it. And, uh, that, that was actually the county's jurisdiction, not the city. So I got in trouble for that. And then, and then another heap of things. And so I didn't heed their warnings. And so now I was on their list and I was on uh, their shit list. And it wasn't long after that, um, when I was terminated as a police officer for actually doing my job. So what I'm getting at is this, you have to take care of you. See, what we do is we put our we put everything before ourselves. We put this career before ourselves. We put being a firefighter, a paramedic, a, a, a law enforcement officer. We put all those things before ourselves because we, we, we think that that's what we are. We think that that's what we identify with. This is my identity. This is who I am. I'm here to tell you you're wrong. That's not who you are. That's what you do for a living. You're not 
just a cop. You're not just a firefighter, paramedic, et cetera, a nurse, a doctor. You're a human being and you're capable of so much more in life. And one day the show is going to end. I tell these kids all the time, you may not last 30 years. I only lasted 10 years in emergency services. And the decision was made for me. I didn't make that decision to leave. I was, I was, it was made for me. And that could happen to you. And if that does, you better have a skill set. You better have some kind of understanding of who you really are. Because when you find yourself out in the cold, no longer able to do this career, that that's a hard hump to get over. We all came into this business. When we came into it, we came in wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. We didn't, we didn't walk on the job and plan to plan to become disgruntled, upset people. We didn't plan to come on here and be all numb towards everything we see and experience in life. But over the years, these things happen. You start, you start getting a different understanding of people. You start the, you think an administration can affect your growth in life. Administration can definitely affect you. You know, you start becoming bitter towards administration that, that will not, um, suit your needs per se, um, who they don't understand when they're up there in the upper echelon. They don't understand it the way that we do boots on the ground. Some of them do, but some of them, some of them tend to forget. And I tell people, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who you are. And that especially applies in a leadership position. You know, when I teach about leadership, it's, um, I'm, I'm super passionate about it because I've watched over my lifetime and all these these different, whether it be in the Marines, police officer, or, or fire department, I've watched leadership from every vantage point. I've seen great leaders. I've seen effective leaders. I've seen shit leaders. I've seen extremely ineffective leaders. I've seen, I've seen it all. And the one thing that always stands out is the leader that supports you is generally a good leader. Um, I don't, I don't like the, I don't like the 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 salty veterans that use their, their background and the things that they've been exposed to, to build themselves up over, over the new kids. I don't like that. I was that guy. I, because that's, that's how I was taught. And I tell people, look, just because we were taught that way, doesn't make it right. I was taught the wrong way. I was taught by a bunch of very hard callous people that your experiences make you better than everybody who never experienced that. And that is not true. That's now being a mature man, stepping outside of this profession for, for, you know, 10 years or so. I can see that that's not the case. What you choose to do with those experiences is how you choose to help other people that haven't had those experiences. That's what makes you better. We have, we have these new people that come onto these jobs and they think that this job is, um, rescue me or Chicago fire or cops on TV or live PD. And it's not that those shows don't show you raped children. Those shows don't show you dead infants. Those shows don't show you murdered people. They show you fun parts of the job. Yeah. You see a little bit of danger, but all that stuff's pre-recorded, whether you think it's live or not. And I guarantee you, if it is live, they're not going to show you some of the calls. They're going to have to just well, we're going to have to go to a different call. And these kids that are signing up for these jobs, they're naive to what they're getting into because one day they are going to be on those calls and they didn't sign up for that. I know I didn't. I didn't sign up for that. I didn't know the reality. I mean, I understood the reality, but 
I didn't really realize the amount of exposure that I would be faced with in my life and how that would shape me as a man and as a first responder. Essentially, I became an ineffective responder. I tell people all the time, when you, when you suit up in the mornings, look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I still on this job for the same reasons I started the job? And if the answer is no, then you have some soul searching to do because my answer definitely was, was no. I essentially became a paid employee by the city that just wore a uniform and got to ride in a cool truck and go to some cool calls. But, but for the most part, after I spiraled out of control, I was ineffective at my job. And I, I put on a front like I was, like I was there, but I was endangering people around me because I just wasn't there. And that's not fair to the brothers and sisters to the left and right of you front and behind you that are serving with you. It's not fair to put them in harm's way because you are not right. We got to make sure that we're good and you got to make sure the people around you are good. I teach this in post-traumatic purpose. I teach it is every bit of your business to know what's going on in, in your coworkers' personal life. And you may shake your head and say, no, it's not. But let me tell you like this. When I was at my worst in my personal life, nobody made it their business. And what they didn't understand is their business was potentially a deadly business because I was in a horrible, horrible, horrible mindset. There were times where I thought about killing my whole crew. This is, this is no bullshit. I remember being in that truck thinking about driving it off the bridge and wondering if we could escape. And it wasn't that I was plotting actually doing it, but the, the thoughts were starting to consume me. And I was wondering, while we're dressed in our fire gear and we're in this rig and I take this thing off this bridge, would we be able to use our air packs if this truck sank to the bottom and breathe on them? Would they work like a scuba tank? You know, and I... I was picturing my guys drowning in this truck, in this ladder truck at the bottom of the Ashley River. I would think about this every time we crossed the Ashley River Bridge or the Wapu Bridge going to James Island. And you got to think I'm, I'm taking this big ass ladder truck. It'd be nothing to drive it through the rails. And these are the thoughts I'm having. You think, you think if you're sitting in the back of that truck with me that you shouldn't know about that? Would you want to be in the back of that truck with somebody that's having those thoughts? Fuck no. You think these cops out there don't have the same thoughts? You think these firefighters don't have those thoughts? They do. I would go into fires and just abandon my crew because I wanted to die. How is that safe for them? It's not. I would go on roofs without sounding for a roof because I wanted to fall into a fire and die like my friends did. Not realizing that junior firefighters or even the senior firefighters around me could be walking right behind me thinking that I sounded for a roof. I talk about all that in post-traumatic purpose, man. This stuff is very, very real. You think what goes on in the mind of your coworker is not of importance to you. You better think again. You think their personal life coming unraveled is not your business. It's every bit of your business. If we worked at Best Buy, no, it probably wouldn't be your business, but your life depends on their mental wellness. Think about that. Your life depends on on your brother's and sister's mental wellness, and their life depends on your mental wellness as well. We talk about being sharp on the job, having all these skills. You talk to these old smoke-eating firefighters, and they're like, man, you got to know how to do this. You got to know how to do that. And then you're a better firefighter if you can do this task in this way and do it this way because we're always training for efficiency. We're always training to be better, and we're always training to take care of our people, right? Rescue the rescuer. 
How many of y'all have done rescue the rescuer training? Cops, I don't think y'all do it, but the firefighter, we do it. We we do rescue the rescuer trainer training. But it's because you can touch it. It's tangible. We don't do rescue the mentally injured training. We don't do that because he can't see it. And it's just as important, if not more important, because, damn it, this job is not as dangerous as our mental health is. Our job is, our mental health is the most dangerous thing to us across the board. We're losing more to suicide than we are in the line of duty. You tell me what's more important. Learning how to operate that Halligan, learning how to pull that pistol out of your, out of your holster, or taking care of that thing on top of your shoulders fine-tuning the most important tool that we have, our brain. I'm going I'm to I'm talk about the tough guy here for a second because I know this dude. I know him very well. I know the tough guy that needs everybody to think he's a tough guy, and I know the tough guy that needs everybody to think he's just an, a complete badass and there's no softness in him at all. I was at an event, and... um there was a guy wearing a SWAT team shirt and he was helping set an event up. And one of the event organizers, what he was doing is he was actually doing the lights in the place that we were working. And, uh, one of the event organizers, now the guy didn't know who I was, but one of the event organizers said, Hey, do you, um, are you going to come sit in this, in this class? And the guy looked at her and he goes, I don't need this stuff. This isn't for a guy like me. And he had his chest bowed out and he had on his tight ass shirt, his SWAT team shirt. He was an older guy. You could tell he had the you could tell he had the swagger back in the day. You know what I mean? And when he said that, I saw right through him. And this event organizer goes, Oh, you're just a big old teddy bear. Paying him a compliment. And just to make sure that, he, that she understood that he wasn't soft in any way, shape, or form, he says, I'm definitely not a teddy bear. I'm I'm not that at all. I'm 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 not a teddy bear. And I was sitting there thinking, man, that's kind of a compliment coming from a woman. That's actually a, a really good compliment. But you're so you're so blinded by your false persona that you can't even accept that compliment and be a nice guy. You have to put on that front that you are harder than you possibly are. And I tell these guys and girls all the time, dude, I've worked with the hardest people in the business. And all of it, police, fire, Marines, I have worked around tough people my entire life. So that shit doesn't impress me at all. All the only person that that impresses, I want you to understand this. The only person that mentality impresses is yourself when you pretend to be that, because I was that dude. I pretended to be that before I really got in touch with myself. I was as hard as they come. And I would never let you see me crack. I would never let you see any kind of vulnerability. But I also understood after years of being that guy, I realized the damage that I really did to my true self. I lied to myself for so long, pretending to be something I really was not. Because what I am is a human being. And what I do have are feelings. And what I do have is compassion for other people. Now, there were times when I didn't have it because, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. So you, it's hard to feel sorry for people. But it's easier. You know that you know that old saying? It's harder to be mean to somebody than it is to be nice. You actually have to make an effort to be mean to people. You do. 
You have to make an effort to not smile at somebody or to not wave or to be polite. You have to make an effort to be mean, rude, and arrogant. Being nice is easy. It's the same thing as being a tough guy. It takes effort and it takes constant work, constant effort. And I'm telling you right now, that is exhausting. And that's why tough guys, tough girls, they break down. And that's why they shoot themselves in a fucking head because they don't know how to handle the emotions that they're feeling because they're not truly in touch with themselves because they become so out of touch with the persona that they're pretending to be or what they become so out of touch with the person they're pretending to be that they get wrapped up in the persona that they have created and it's hard for them to go backwards. So while I'm sitting there and I listen to this guy try to convince this girl that he's Superman and all this, he looks at me and goes, are you a speaker? I said, I am. Yes, sir. And I stood up to shake his hand. You know what he said? He goes, you're the guy that can't keep a job. And I was like, okay, an arrogant motherfucker. And I didn't, I didn't get into an explanation. I said, yeah, apparently not. Apparently, apparently I just can't keep a job. Uh, or I can look at that as, you know what? My life has so many chapters that it, it's an actual fucking book. And that I didn't choose what happened to me. The universe did it for me. And that's what I want to talk about. Sometimes things are going to happen outside of your control. And you got to either grow from it or let it beat you down. And I chose to let, to grow from it. And each time a, a new door was slammed in front of my, in my face, I chose to not just open another door, but go through the fucking wall sometimes because the door was locked. And that's what you got to do. You know, that's the resiliency that I talk about. Like you got to constantly be working on resiliency. Most people don't understand like, there are going to be times in your life where resiliency is going to be the one thing that saves you. And if you're not constantly working on it, on resiliency, you're not going to know how to handle that. It's no different than when I tell people, look, if you don't do little things in your life to take care of yourself, how are you going to do the big things when the big things come, right? The same as resiliency. If you, if you get defeated by everything that you do, even the littlest things, like, you know what, this, this handbag that I'm trying to zip, won't shut. It won't, the zipper won't close. Well, if you just say, oh, fuck it and throw it down and not figure it out and not make that zipper close, then the next time something a little bit bigger comes along, you're just going to quit that too. And everything you quit now, you're going to quit something bigger later. That's why you can't quit things no matter what. You have to overcome them because that builds resiliency. It builds confidence. And there's a lot of people lacking that. If they don't get something on the first try, they're like, oh, well, it's not meant to be. Most people don't know how to handle getting fired from a police department and being insulted in the process. You know what that does? That insults your integrity to the core. And it makes you feel like a horrible human being. I was there. It happened to me. But I didn't let it stop me. I worked on it. And I focused on being resilient from it. It was hard to move past that. But there was a reason for it because the universe had bigger things in store for me. I didn't ask to, to go to a fire that was going to kill nine of my friends. I would love to have those guys back. I didn't ask to be a part of that. I did volunteer to go inside the building after it happened to, you know, to, to get our guys out. 
But I didn't ask for that fire to happen, but it did. And I can't change that. But what I chose to do with my life after that point, you know, for a long time, I was destroying my life. And then when I realized what I was doing, I said, you know what? I can't let that event destroy me. It's There's a reason why I'm on the path that I'm on. And I, I have to do make the most of it. You have to continuously press on. I want to talk about the gym today. I was so recently I had to get x-rays on my hip. It's a funny story because I'm in the VA. I didn't think anything about this. I go in there, I get x-rays in my hip. I'm laying on the table. Boom. She shoots the images. Boom. She shoots the images. Young tech. Um, she's fun, friendly girl that works there, whatever. Right. I wanted to take pictures of the x-rays because I wanted to send them to my brother-in-law who's an orthopedic surgeon. I get up and I said, Hey, can I, can I see those x-rays? She goes, yeah, they're yours. People, I went back there to see the x-rays, and the only thing I saw, <laughs> I didn't realize how x-rated the x-rays would be. All right, I'm going to keep this as clean as possible. But you can imagine what was revealed when the x-ray machine was hovering right above my pelvis, okay? And I'm just going to say I was sitting nice, so I wasn't embarrassed at all. Like, it was a good day, and it wasn't cold in the room. Everything was good. But I looked at her, and I go, what is that? And she just laughed and she goes, you know exactly what that is. And I go, oh yeah, I know what that is. I didn't know that this was going to show up. I mean, it was plain as day, but I was proud. I mean, I was actually, I walked out of my chest out a little bit. I was like, all right, I'm good. So anyway, I get my hip x-rayed because my hips are like, they're, they're all fucked up on me too, along with my back. And does, does that mean like I'm having pain? I'm actually having a lot of pain walking, but does that mean I stop walking? No. Does that mean I make an excuse to not go to the gym? No, I was in the gym today and I was on the treadmill and my hips felt like they were going to blow out. So you know what I did? I didn't quit. I just slowed down a little bit and I started thinking, I go, man, I I started beating myself up. I'm like, I'm slowing down. But then I I thought about it. I was like, no, dude, you're still here. You're still in the fight. And that's what it is. Sometimes you're not going to KO your opponent. Sometimes you're not going to TKO your opponent. Sometimes you just got to get in the ring and trade blows. You have to keep pushing. You have to keep fighting in everything you do in life. Because the second you choose to not get up, that's the start of your quitting career. And you will have a quitting career. I always tell my daughters when, when something's going wrong, they'll see me get frustrated with something and they're like, Daddy, just, just quit. And I was like, I looked at, I've looked at them and said, Daddy doesn't ever quit anything. I can't quit. Because the second I quit, I quit all of you. And I actually become the model of what not finishing looks like. I can't let them see me quit. Are you kidding me? And I can't let myself see me quit because again, I become the model of what not finishing looks like. I can't place enough emphasis on the importance of finishing. No matter what you do, always finish. You don't have to win. You don't, you don't have to have the best scores. You don't have to be the best at whatever it is, but finish. Don't ever, ever quit. The second you realize, hey, you may, be, you, you may have listened to all 80-something episodes of this and none of it made sense to you until now, and all of a sudden if the light bulb has went off today and you decide, hey, I need to look at myself. I need to, I need to, I need to maybe get in touch with myself and get some help. Finish it. Stay in it. 
Don't go peek around the corner. Go around the fucking corner. Don't be scared. Go to that office. Go to that clinician. Go to your supervisor. Go to your spouse. Sit down and finish it. Get it off your chest. Unload it. I never realized until I was older how much trash we compact in our lives. Think about a trash can that's full and every time you walk by it, you don't take out the trash. You just take your foot and you, you stamp it down and you just push it further down and push it further down and push it further down. That's what we do in our lives with all these bad events that happen and all the negative things that happen. That's all we're doing is we're pushing the trash down. You're compacting the trash. And eventually, by not taking that trash out, it has nowhere else to go. And then when it spills over on the floor and everybody, your entire family, you're standing there by the trash can. Everybody's looking at you because all your trash is out on the floor. And now you're the messy, unkept motherfucker because you've got trash all over the ground and you can't figure out how to get it back in nice and neatly. That's what it's like. So unpack your trash, people. Go have a great week and unpack your damn trash. I love y'all.